Hi, this is Malayan Verveer. And this is Kim Azzarelli. We are co-authors of the book, Fast Forward, How Women Can Achieve Power and Purpose. And you're listening to Seneca Women, Conversations on Power and Purpose, a podcast brought to you by Seneca Women. Punzeli Malamba Nakuka has been at the epicenter of history. She's seen how a single event can change the lives of millions of women around the world. Today, she heads UN Women, the UN agency devoted to women's empowerment. Earlier in her career, she was the first woman to be appointed deputy president of South Africa. And before that, she was a member of South Africa's first post-apartheid parliament. While serving in parliament in 1995, she learned about a game-changing event taking place in Beijing, where tens of thousands of women arrived to attend the UN World Conference on Women. At that conference, Hillary Clinton declared that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all. And 189 countries signed on to a commitment to gender equality. In the decades since, hundreds of laws have been passed around the world to ensure women's full participation, all because of the Beijing conference. Punzeli sat down with Milan at the Seneca Women Forum in Davos to talk about the significance of Beijing, which celebrates its 25th anniversary this year listen to their conversation, and learn about how the conference put women's rights on the world agenda, the progress since, and what companies and countries can do to help accelerate women in 2020. Enjoy the conversation and stick around after for my top takeaways. Uh, So, Pomzeli, welcome. Uh, We're really thrilled to have you here. She is... uh, Really, if anybody's been running a marathon here, I think it is she. This is a landmark year uh, on women's issues. Uh, In the United States, we're marking our 100th anniversary of suffrage. It was a long time struggle uh, to get the right to vote. Um, And for the world, it is the 25th anniversary of the UN Fourth World Conference on Beijing. But so much happened in Beijing, it's hard to believe that it was the first time that women's rights were chiseled into international human rights law. So it took that long. Uh, Violence against women, something we know is a global scourge, was put on the world agenda back then. Um, And Pumzeli is leading a real effort for us not just to have an anniversary, uh, but to really look at that platform for action that was adopted to see the progress that we've made, and there has been progress. Uh, we do have a long way to go. So, Pumzeli, it's just wonderful to have you here. Um, and maybe we can begin um, by hearing from you about how this was so landmark for the women's movement and, and personally how you remember it. Thank you very much. Uh, it's wonderful to celebrate uh, the many anniversaries that we have um, this year. When Beijing happened, to get 189 countries agreeing on a set of standards, 12 themes that they were going to implement that defined what is right for women, that gave us a travel of direction, was truly historical because nothing like that had existed. It raised the bar for all countries. No one could say after Beijing, they kind of like don't know what is right for women in their own countries. What was also interesting was that uh, this was for 
all the 189 countries, at least, who are as diverse as you can be. And the fact that they actually agreed to implement this program, never mind that they didn't quite implement it, but that they agreed that they were going to implement it was important. Secondly, it was also a moment where the United Nations used its convening power to bring countries together to forge a common program, forge common standards for all those countries. Because uh, in the United Nations, it might not look very united uh, from you when you are looking at it from outside, but this is where you get opposing views to sit side by side. So that was also uh, quite uh, historical. But also it amplified certain aspects in the women's, in the women's, within the page of, of women's rights. For instance, the definition of a child was not just a child, a girl child. In that way, we were able to amplify the wrongs that impacted the girl child, child marriage. Before then, it was not discussed as a problem. We were able to amplify uh, female genital mutilation before that, it was not an issue. And that only affected girls. So when you talk about the rights of a child and you don't amplify these, these very gruesome atrocities that happened to girls were, were being hidden. It also was uh, important because in areas uh, such as uh, consent, before then, it was always a gray area when do you feel violated? You couldn't say, I did not give consent. What Beijing did was to introduce the concept of consent, which, as we know now after Me Too, it's very important. And of course, it was also important because it just gave women a voice. Human rights were human rights, and that was quite important. You know, I think it's interesting, as you mentioned, FGM and some of these other horrific abuses that girls and women were enduring. They were not viewed under international human rights laws, violations of human rights. Hard to believe. Uh, but so it's brought us a long way, even though there's still so much work. So, Pumzeli, what did it mean to you personally? I was a parliamentarian at that time, and it gave us the momentum to change the laws in our country at a speed that you could not believe. Uh, we were able to learn from the countries, and very few at the time, we had made progress in changing uh, their laws. But also, we had to sit down and think about what was needed in our own country. And of course, for us, it was complicated also, because it was also changing laws of apartheid to bring them to a democratic South Africa, as well as ensuring and entrenching gender equality. So it was exciting, truly, truly exciting to have an instrument and a tool that we could actually use to drive change. And I remember the African women were really extraordinary leaders yeah, in yeah, Beijing and yeah. putting some Especially of these issues for the girl child. on the agenda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we know from, from the WEF report, and it's always good to quote it here especially, that, as you heard, 
you know, some of the data would suggest it's going to take us forever uh, to get uh, to equal participation in uh, equality in pay or in the workplace. But yet there's been a lot of progress that the WEF uh, report also points out. How do you see the status of women today? Well, it's a mixed bag. The glass is half full. We do have problems. The change sometimes is success is exaggerated. There's an illusion of progress. Uh, when you have a handful of women, like 25% of parliamentarians, it looks like uh, this is a lot of women, but men, 25 is 25%. <laughs> there are 75% legislators who are men. 75% of the laws that govern all of us are made by men. Surely this cannot be acceptable. You only have 14 countries that have gender equal cabinets. 14, one, four. But of course, we will, we will take it, but we have to drive change much faster. Uh, we, we need to drive change much faster because if we move slow and not in scale, it is very easy for us to reel back. We are seeing that, and when we reel back, we lose the gains that we have already made. In Beijing, we did not have a roadmap to coordinate the changes that we are going to implement after we got in the declaration. Mm -hmm. We did not have an investment plan to finance the changes that we wanted to see. We did not also align the MDGs with Beijing. Beijing came before MDGs. When MDGs came, we did not align the same. So now with the SDGs, mm -hmm. we want to align the two. Otherwise, we are too spread, and uh, chances are that one of the two agendas is going to lose. We're putting them together. Two, we want to have investment plans that will clearly define what is needed, cost what is needed, and make sure that we know who has to pay. The third thing is that we must have a coordinated program that we can influence all of us. I mean, that we can coordinate together. So we have worked out six thematic areas, calling them action coalitions. Ending violence against women, economic justice, leadership and participation, technology and innovation, SRHR, women and climate. These are the six areas and it puts together the Beijing Declaration mm. and uh, the, the, SDGs. the SDGs, and it f we will focus in this topic at the, on the biggest obstacle that remains in this area. If you're thinking about it as a pyramid, the obstacle that is at the base of the pyramid, uh, which may be the biggest one, that is what we will target, so that when you crack that one, the whole pyramid can crumble. And these are the action coalitions that uh, we are going to be using to celebrate Beijing 25. We are going to, in Mexico, in May, craft these uh, action points and take them to Paris in July. And in July, uh, we will then uh, announce these action coalitions. They would have been formalized. They would have been costed. 
and I hope after that uh, we will be good to go. And in September, we will take that to the General Assembly to present it as a finished program. And we will be saying basically to heads of states, most of them are dudes, dude, this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. So, you know, um, from Sally, in this room, we have a lot of representatives of the private sector, um, as well as organizations uh, in civil society. But for companies, they have a role in this. And, um, you know, it's interesting as you were talking about the SDGs, that SDG 17, I don't know that I would have predicted this uh, ever, but the United Nations actually says in SDG 17, we need to work collaboratively and specifically pulls out the private sector. So what can companies do? Give us a sense of how we can engage, particularly in moving this agenda forward um, in this landmark year and then beyond. Let me just say, in Beijing in 1995, private sector was not as active as it right. is now. This is one thing that we have gained along the way. Along the way, private sector has arrived and has arrived in a big way. So moving forward, we definitely are forging partnerships like, just like we did in the SDGs and look what it has done. It has made the SDGs basically to trend in divorce because private sector has come on board. So we are hoping that in the coalition, action coalitions that we are forging going, going forward, we will have private sector in each coalition. Just give you an example. The companies that I've been speaking uh, to here want to do violence against women. And these are telcos, telecommunications company mm -hmm. who want to fight violence against women online. Mm -hmm. This is Big problem. crucial, crucial and critical. Companies want to fight, uh, want to contribute to sexual rights and, 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 and to sexual rights, to sexual rights and, and health and reproductive rights. These are companies who say we need to close the gap on access to contraception and they need to be produced. They need to be distributed. They need to reach the people who do not have them. Public sector cannot do that alone. If you are looking at uh, climate, well, you, have, you see yourselves what companies are doing. So in these partnerships, we will definitely have a, a private sector leading and participating. And will they be participating in some of the events, whether in Mexico or France or later at, at UNGA next September? Yes, they will participate in Mexico. They will participate in Paris, and we need them to accompany us to UNGA uh, so that we can all speak with one voice when we're speaking to heads of state. And I must emphasize that this is an intergenerational campaign. It is called Generation Equality. Basically, what we are saying is that we are the generation that will have to put this to an end. We will also focus on young people, especially ages 15 to 25, because this is the age that is very vulnerable. If we do not engage and support them, we will not be able to make significant progress because they are the largest population on earth right now. If you make progress with that population, it supports the young people, the, the younger, the children, 
because they look after the children. Mm -hmm. It supports the older because they carry the older. So it's important that they become a strengthened population. And of course, they have no recollection of Beijing because they weren't even born. Yeah. Uh, so it's also interesting when Pumzeli laid out those six areas that technology and climate were not part of the platform yeah. for action because those are challenges that have developed mm, since. Mm. So it's coming together yeah. in so many different ways. Well, let me just ask you one, one final question, uh, Pumzeli, because we're here dealing with all of these global challenges and sometimes it can be a very heavy weight and I'm sure you feel that keenly, particularly uh, with respect to women, but what makes you optimistic? You know, what makes me optimistic is the young people. They are truly, truly amazing. These days, they start to be activists at seven years old. And I think this is the function of technology. They see so much at a very early age, and they know so much of the options that they have to work around the changes. I am very, very optimistic that if we empower, if we give them space, they are unstoppable. They are truly, truly unstoppable. As are you. Uh, and so we will follow you as we do, as you go forward, uh, because Pumzeli truly not only talks the talk, she walks the walk. So thank you for calling us to action this morning. I hope you enjoyed Milan's conversation with Punzilli. To learn about generation equality, go to unwomen.org. Our top takeaways? First, it's important to remember that until Beijing, women's rights were not squarely on the world's agenda. That summit chiseled women's rights into international law for the first time in history. It also provided a roadmap for equality. As Punzelli says, after Beijing, no one can say they don't know what's right for women in their countries. Second, we can no longer rely solely on governments to create change. Companies have an important role to play, and through public-private partnerships, they can help us complete that journey to equality. Finally, as we continue the work to advance progress for women and girls, there is great reason for optimism, and that's the young people of today. They know how to engage, and they're not afraid to speak up. Now it's up to us to help guide and support them in order to bring about the world we all want to see. You're listening to Seneca Women, Conversations on Power and Purpose, a podcast brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network with support from founding partner P&G. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, tell your friends, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. For more information on Seneca Women, follow us on social media, visit our website, and check out the Seneca Women app free in the App Store. Have a great week.